Matthew chapter 12, beginning at verse 22 through verse 32. <clears throat> then there was brought to him a demon-possessed man who was blind and dumb, and he healed him so that the dumb man spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and began to say, This man cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This man casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? And if I, by Beelzebul, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Consequently, they shall be your judges. But I, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say to you, any sin... And blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. We've come to this portion in our uh, exposition of, of Matthew, where some have said, what could possibly be the meaning of verses 31 and 32 of this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, this unpardonable sin that Jesus talks about. For some, some people have languished, languished in despair, thinking they've committed the unpardonable sin, which is... Jesus says, is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Over the years in the gospel ministry, I probably have had two people come to me seriously concerned that they may have been guilty of committing the unpardonable sin. And they are quite concerned. Uh, <clears throat> to which I responded to them by saying, are you uh, concerned about this, uh, the fact that you've come to me? And they said, well, yes. I said, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Yes. And I said, whatever the sin you've committed that has made you uh, fear, have you asked God to forgive you? And they said, yes. And I said, you have not committed the unpardonable sin. You don't need to be afraid. Uh <clears throat> Sadly, there are many who come and have this fear, uh, and those who have this fear that they have committed the unforgivable sin, unfortunately, uh, oftentimes they, they come out of the Armenian camp by Armenianism, that theological position, that view that teaches, among many things, that you can lose your salvation, that you could actually possess Jesus, and then because of whatever reason, you could lose it all. 
oftentimes people that have the fear they've committed blasphemy against the Holy Spirit have come out of that theological tradition. Uh, in this message, I'm going to demonstrate what is the unpardonable sin that Jesus talks about, what constitutes the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and let me establish this at the outset. A genuine Christian cannot commit the un unpardonable sin. They just can't. And we're going to go over why they can't. As we peruse through the scripture, we're going to see uh, the litany of many biblical characters, some of the great uh, <clears throat> men of the faith who have committed grievous sins. After all, David committed adultery and murder. Solomon, the wisest earthly man that has ever lived, worshipped at the pagan altars for a time of his foreign lives. And yet, both found forgiveness with the Lord. The prodigal son's riotous living, he found forgiveness. Peter denied Jesus with cursing three times and found forgiveness. Paul, previously known as Saul of Tarsus, was a great persecutor of the church. And Paul himself says, I was a blasphemer. And yet Paul finds forgiveness. Well, what did all of these people do that found forgiveness? They repented of their sins, is what they did. And that is noteworthy. Those who repent have not committed the unforgivable sin. And no matter how grievous their sin may be. Now let me say this. By the fact that God forgives sinners and he forgives uh, great men and women of faith their sins, that does not mean that there is not consequences that often do follow through their sins. Uh, we know that David paid a great price, though he found forgiveness. Solomon paid a great price, though he found forgiveness. What did all of them do? They repented, regardless of their sins. What is the promise of 1 John 1.9 that I often use in our assurance of salvation, or our assurance of forgiveness? If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the key is confession of the sin, asking God for that forgiveness, repenting, turning from it, and we will find forgiveness. That's what the Lord holds out for his people. So, conviction of sin leading to repentance is the clearest evidence that one has not committed the unforgivable sin. And so we see here that we need to understand then, in this context, and the context is what governs this whole meaning of what constitutes the unpardonable sin. The context tells us what that sin is that Jesus is referring to. Now, we've seen again this context is Jesus has 
healed this dumb man who could not speak, who was demon-possessed. And consequently, others, they praised God when they saw this man healed of this terrible affliction of being possessed by a demon. However, the Pharisees, they weren't praising God. They became accusatory to Jesus, saying, you cast out demons by the devil himself. You are Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. To which Jesus said, well, that's crazy. Because Satan will not cast out Satan. His kingdom can't stand if he's casting out his own demonic realm. And we see that Jesus is saying, who is the strong man that's bound here? The strong man in this uh, story that Jesus tells is Satan himself. Jesus is plundering Satan's domain. And therefore, Jesus by casting out these demons, has plundered Satan's domain, and Jesus has given his authority and has empowered his church throughout this millennial period, which is from the, the time of Christ's advent until whenever the second coming comes. We don't know how many thousands of years that may be. He is empowering his church to defeat Satan's domain. So in understanding what constitutes the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, well, first of all, we are helped in understanding what constitutes this by seeing verse 28. Look at verse 28. Jesus says here, But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The casting out of demons is done by the Spirit of God. We are, no, we are told that the Son of God, the Son of Man, had the Holy Spirit's power without measure, as John the Baptist said. It's poured out Him without measure. Whatever Jesus wanted to do, He could do. And He had that work of the Spirit behind Him. So, who's casting out the demons? The Holy Spirit of God, in conjunction with the Son of God, is casting out these demons. The kingdom of God has arrived. And note, it is the Spirit of God who is doing all of this. Hence, when the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out the demons by being possessed by the devil himself, which is Beelzebul, they were deliberately sinning against who? The Holy Spirit. That's who they were sinning against. And since the Holy Spirit was the one empowering Jesus, they were making a mockery of the Holy Spirit. Because that is due by the power that Jesus was casting out these demons. In verse 30, Jesus says... It's impossible to be neutral with regard to him. But Jesus cannot be uh, segmented uh, and restricted to just spiritual matters like the world wants to do to the Lord Jesus. They'll say, and the world says, you Christians, you can worship Jesus in your little places of worship 
on Sunday, but don't dare to try to bring your Jesus out into the marketplace. Don't bring him out into the political sphere because he doesn't belong there. Oh, really? Jesus is the king of who? King of kings and the Lord of all lords. He is the supreme ruler. He does whatever he pleases. And Jesus says that you can't be neutral with regard to him. Jesus is the great discerner between men. You see, with with regard to Jesus, we are either in one or two kingdoms. Everybody is in either one or two kingdoms. We are either in the kingdom of darkness controlled by Satan, or we are in the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. We are either in one of those kingdoms. Always. There's no other there's no other position. There is no neutrality. And so we see verse thirty is the immediate preface to Jesus' comments on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. There's no neutrality with him. Either we confess Jesus as the Son of God and have been born into his kingdom thereby finding forgiveness of sins, or we are remaining in darkness, in unbelief, where there is no forgiveness of sins, as long as we don't repent. And therefore, if we are in that realm, Jesus says, we are scattering, not gathering. So Jesus says, we're either gathering uh, those on his side, or we're scattering, doing things in contrariness to what Jesus is. So, in that light, then in verse 31, notice how verse 31 begins with the word, therefore. Now that is always a transitional word, and it links together what comes before with what comes after so in Jesus' telling of the story, I mean, telling of the incident of what's happening when he cast out these demons, and he's been telling people, uh, either you're for me or you're against me, you're in either the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus says, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Spirit cannot be forgiven. That is the context. And that's how we understand what this blasphemy of the Spirit is. Now, why is it if the Son of God and the Holy Spirit are both part of the eternal Godhead, which they are, and if each person of the Godhead is equal in power, glory, and majesty, which they are, How is it that Jesus says, you can blaspheme against the Son of God and be forgiven, but blaspheme against the Spirit, you can't be forgiven? Well, we're going to see how that's the case. Remember, Paul, as I've already alluded to, he said in 1 Timothy 1.13, he said, I was a former blasphemer of the Son of God. 
and how we and what and how in what sense was he with, uh, speaking in this regard when he was a great persecutor of the church that's what he means I was a blasphemer I was a blasphemer because I was actively persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and remember when Jesus comes to him in that blinding light remember what Jesus says to Saul he says Saul Saul why are you persecuting me by persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. Paul understood, and then from that incident, the Lord sovereignly saves Saul of Tarsus at that moment. Regenerates his soul, opens his mind to, to understand the truth of the gospel. This former great persecutor, he says, I was once a blasphemer against who? The Son of God. But he finds forgiveness. So, the multitude, hearing Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, had formerly blasphemed Jesus as the Son of God. Wherein it says, Paul, I mean Peter, in that sermon recorded in Acts chapter 2, he talks about how the Son of God was delivered up from the foundation of the world, but godless men, you nailed him on a cross. You are guilty of sinning the greatest sin that can be imagined by wanting Barabbas, many of whom were crying out for Barabbas there, and they participated in the death of the Son of God. They were blasphemers. And then through this sermon, Peter brings this out and then talks about the risen Christ and all the glories of the risen Christ and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that had happened, that these people were witnessing the gospel being preached in multitude different languages of those who had never spoken before. And he says the reason they're doing that is because the Holy Spirit has descended upon them. King Jesus is reigning. And what was the impact of that sermon upon those people? Well, we're told, it says, look at Acts chapter 2, and you'll see what the impact was. Turn to Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 37, following. After Peter preaches what he does, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we are told that 3,000 people repented, confessed their sins, and were brought into the kingdom of God. Former blasphemers against the Son of God. But who opened their eyes to respond to Peter's sermon? The Spirit of God, right? The Spirit of God brought that conviction of sin. And they found forgiveness. Even though they had been former blasphemers. Like Jesus says... You can blaspheme against the Son of God and find forgiveness, Saul of Tarsus and all these 3,000. 
But you blaspheme against the Spirit, there is no forgiveness for that. And so, in this regard, these people, they found forgiveness with God by virtue of their repenting of their sins. And that was the work of the Holy Spirit coming. Now, it is interesting, remember that the verse that, that Peter is quoting on the day of Pentecost, talking about David was a prophet and he prophesied of the coming one who would sit on his throne, talked about the resurrection of the Christ, which Peter says, you are now both here and see what has happened with David Pentecost, is the proof that the Son of God has now sat down at the right hand of the Father in fulfillment of Psalm 110. Turn with me to Psalm 110 and look at verses 1 through 3. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. You know, what's so great about this passage is Peter is saying, in the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, this is the fulfillment of Psalm 110. And the pouring out of the Spirit upon these people, these 3,000 people, is the proof that Jesus is stretching out his strong scepter, ruling in the midst of his enemies. Because these were former blasphemers. They were enemies of God. They were enemies of the Son of God. And what has happened when, when Jesus has stretched forth his strong scepter? It says, Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. And he said, well, what do you mean thy people? It says, well, anyone who comes to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is one of God's people. Jesus said this in John 6. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. They are the elect of God. The elect of God will come to Jesus at some point. And, and it says they will volunteer freely in the day of thy power. So when... Peter says, this Jesus who's been raised up and who poured out his spirit, so you heard this gospel among, in your own dialects, he says, this, this is the proof that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, whom you crucified. Acts 2.36 says, you crucified this Jesus. You were a former blasphemer. But in the day of thy power... Everything changed. And you who were once enemies of God have become his friends. Well, what happened? The Holy Spirit is what enabled them to volunteer freely so that 
it says they were pierced to the heart and cried out, what shall we do? In other words, they were convicted of their sins for having crucified Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 16. Look at verses 8 and 9. And Jesus is speaking here. Let's back up to verse 7. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. How are men convicted of sin? Only by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says the whole, one, of the, the funda, one of the fundamental ministries of the Holy Spirit is to convict men of their sins. That's one of his primary roles. The only reason these former blasphemers who had crucified Jesus could be pierced to the heart is that when they heard Peter's sermon, the Spirit took that word, just like Hebrews 4.12 says. Now turn to Hebrews 4.12 so we understand what happened on the day of Pentecost and what's been happening and will continue to happen throughout the millennium. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And here's what happened. When Peter preached that sermon, there were those who heard that sermon, and the Spirit of God pierced their heart. So when it says their heart was pierced, who pierced their heart? The Spirit of God did, taking the Word of God, which was what was being preached by Peter. And therefore, they were brought to repentance. They found forgiveness. And they were transferred from the domain of darkness to the domain of light. All this because of the Spirit. The Spirit brings conviction of sin. So while Jesus and the Holy Spirit are equal persons of the Godhead, their ministries are unique in the, in the sense that the Son of God is the mediator. He is the atoner of men's sins. And he intercedes for his church, the scripture says. The Spirit, who is known as the Spirit of Christ, because the Spirit proceeds from Christ. Remember in the Nicene Creed we talk about uh, the Spirit proceeding from both the Father and the Son. Who did Jesus say he was going to send to his church? I'm going to send the Comforter. I'm going to send the Spirit. And when he comes, he's going to bring conviction of sin, among many other things. So, the Spirit, the primary function of the Spirit of God as part of the eternal Godhead, is that the Spirit applies God's electing grace and mercy, is what the Spirit does. Oftentimes, the, um, in all the preaching throughout the history of the church, there's been a lot of preaching on 
the Father and the Son. And there has been, to the neglect, as some have known, that there has not been a lot of preaching, a lot of writing on the role of Spirit, which is sad. And consequently, there have been some good books written on that, but they're not as uh, numerous as the others. It is the Spirit of God that applies everything to us. It's the Spirit who comes from the Father who is elected the person who takes the atoning work of Jesus and applies it to our heart. Without the Spirit, we have nothing. So, to blaspheme the Spirit is what? To resist the Holy Spirit's work. That's the blasphemy of the Spirit. Specifically in this context... As Jesus is speaking, the Pharisees were committing the unpardonable sin because they were attributing the works of God to the works of the devil. How low can you get? How deceived can you be? Now, it's interesting in that passage... There were those who saw Jesus heal the demon-possessed man and were praising God and saying, could it be that this man is the promised Messiah, the son of David? I mean, are we looking at the one who's been promised for centuries? There were some thinking about that, but the Pharisees weren't thinking about that. Not at all. They were already upset the fact that he had healed the man with a withered hand. And on the Sabbath, and by the fact that they, they, Jesus healed this man uh, on the Sabbath, what did it say that the Pharisees went out and did? They conspired to kill Jesus. That's a darkened heart. That's a heart of unbelief. That, when the Bible talks about the heart of stone of unbelief, right there it is. So hardened in sin... You can't even rejoice in someone being delivered from such an affliction. And you want to turn around and kill the person who's done the miraculous work to help this man? That's how lost in sin these religious leaders were. So, they had, these Pharisees had a hardened, unbelieving heart. Even though they saw a miracle of Jesus, they would not glorify God. And in fact, instead of glorifying God, they accused him of casting out demons and doing all of his works by the power of the devil. Now notice, Jesus says, you can blaspheme me as a son, but when you blaspheme the Spirit, which is what? The Pharisees were doing. Remember what Jesus said in verse 28. I am casting out the demons by the Spirit of God. Therefore the kingdom has come upon you. So when you don't receive that, when you don't see that and respond accordingly, you're just revealing the depths of your depravity. And you are resisting and blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Luke's account of this... um, in a very truncated way, in Luke 12. Turn with me to Luke 12. Luke 12, verses 8 through 10. And what's important here is the context, again, 
of verse 10, which is verses 8 and 9. So we're going to begin with Luke 12, verse 8. And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man shall confess him before the angels of God. But he who denies me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who will speak a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. So that's Luke's version of what we see in Matthew. And the context here is obvious to the fact there are some who are being told to confess Jesus, and if you confess Jesus, you'll find eternal life. But if you don't confess Jesus, then you will not be uh, received by Jesus on the day of judgment. And the reason why people won't receive Jesus is because they have resisted the Spirit of God to their eternal destruction. That's why Jesus mentions there of, of confession of him before men and denying him. Those who deny him to their death, they have resisted the Spirit and have paid the eternal price. Now, there are some, mind you, now only God knows when those who have committed the unpardonable sin to their eternal destruction. There are some who have blessed Jesus for a time. There are some who have reject, re, resisted uh, the preaching of the gospel for a time later to repent. Okay? We don't know. We're not, we don't have, we're not of the mindset of Jesus because we're, we're, we're not divine. Remember, Jesus says he knows the thoughts of men. He knows the hearts of men. I don't know the thoughts and the hearts of men. But it is a dangerous thing when men hear the gospel, see the work of God, and then resist it. That is a very dangerous position to be in. And... All I can do is I can warn people that that is a tragic thing to hear the gospel and continue not to believe. That's a tragic thing. It could be their last day. We don't know. And so what we see here is that those who refuse to believe in Jesus, despite what the Holy Spirit is doing, they can be guilty, could be guilty of blaspheming the Spirit. Now, what are some examples in the Scripture of blaspheming the Spirit? Let's take a look at these so we understand what is the unpardonable sin. Well, let's turn to one text, John chapter 8. And look, let's look at verses 38 to verse 47. Now, what's interesting about this passage is that verse 31 talks about there were some Jews who believed in him in a, in a certain sense. But then they say, we are of Abraham's offspring. And Jesus says, well, if you really were of his offspring, of Abraham's offspring, you wouldn't be desiring to kill me. So you wonder, what is it they believed about Jesus in the first place then? Because notice what Jesus says about them. And this is where we're going to pick up in verse 38. 
I speak the things which I have seen with my father, and therefore you also do the things which you heard from your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you're Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. But as it is, you are seeking to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. This Abraham did not do. You are doing the deeds of your father. They said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I'm saying? Why don't you understand? It's because you cannot hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. There is a, and uh, because there is no truth in him, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I speak the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I speak truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears the words of God. For this reason you do not hear them, because you are not of God. Now remember, we've gone through, and we're going to see this with Jesus. How many times he preached, remember when he says... He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So when Jesus says, why, is it you don't, why aren't you accepting me for who I am? Why don't you believe in me? Well, he answers his own question. You don't believe in me because you're not hearing me. And you're not hearing me because you are not of God. Meaning, you're not of the elect of God. That's why you don't hear. You don't have the ministry of the Spirit opening your ears to hear. But who does hear? Turn over to John 10. And look at verse 26 or verse 25 and following. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. These bear witness of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life. To them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Now, he's already told certain Jews, you don't believe in me, and you don't hear me, because you are not of God. However, there are some people who hear me. It's my sheep. You know, the sheep knows, just like I'll put it, none of us have sheep, I don't think, but we do have pets. And your pet 
knows your voice, doesn't it? Even my cat knows the voice. <laughs> and they respond. Your, your pets respond to your voice. They know their master. And Jesus says, My sheep, those who are elect from God, whom the Father has given me from all eternity, they hear my voice. So when the great shepherd preaches to them through his preachers, like what happened on the day of Pentecost, when, when Peter preached, they heard. And 3,000 people were converted. The Spirit opened their ears to hear, and these sheep who were uh, ordained from the foundation of the world believed in the voice of the shepherd preached to Peter. They heard. They can hear. So they obviously, there are those who will never come. They resist the Spirit. Uh, it is the Spirit who preaches through His preachers. It is the Spirit who does uh, these miraculous things that they see, but some don't see it in their hearts and, and still reject Him. They're blaspheming against the Spirit. They're sinning against the Spirit. Turn with me to Hebrews 3. Here's an example of some, of some who blasphemed the Holy Spirit. We'll begin at verse 7, Hebrews 3. Notice how verse 7 begins. Therefore, just as who? Just as who? The Holy Spirit says. Notice that. The Holy Spirit is speaking here. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by testing me, saw my works for forty years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They did not know my ways, and I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, just as it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. While it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt, led by Moses, and with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, let us fear lest while a promise remains of entering the rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. 
So really, you see, hearing is taken in two senses. It is possible to hear it outwardly, but not hear it inter- internally. The sheep hear him not only externally, but they hear him internally. And they respond, okay, to that. So, what we see here is all those who came out of Egypt, who were in the wilderness for 40 years, it says that they saw the works of God, but it did nothing to create faith in their hearts. They heard uh, things preached to them, but it says it was not united with faith. Consequently, what did it reveal? Hardened, evil hearts. So when they saw these works of God, when they heard these things and the promises of God and did not respond, what were they doing? Blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. Doing the unpardonable sin. Resisting the Spirit. Turn with me to turn over to Hebrews six. Look at verses four through six. Another example of those who blaspheme the Holy Spirit. For in this case of those who have been once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful to those for whose sake it is tilled, receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless in those being and close to being cursed, and it ends up being burned. But, beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. See, it is possible. You know, some have thought Hebrews 6, 4 through 6, talks about those that can lose their salvation. No, they never had it to begin with. Now, how is it that you can be enlightened? How can you be partaking of the Holy Spirit how can, in some sense? And how can you taste the Word of God, the powers of the age to come, and be guilty of blaspheming the Holy Spirit and be eternally lost? Well, it's because you can see these things. You can hear these, these great truths. But the Spirit is not at work within your heart to bring you to conviction of sin, to what they're intended to do. And you know, one of the greatest examples of this passage in Hebrews 6, there is a person who we can apply every one of these traits to this man. Turn to Acts 8 and you'll see who this man is. Acts 8, beginning at verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed to them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the, Holy, of the Lord Jesus. 
Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours, and pray the Lord, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, what did Simon the magician was he illumined? From the case of those who have once been enlightened, was he enlightened? Absolutely. What was he enlightened to? He saw there was, through the, the work of the apostles, this great bestowing of the Holy Spirit upon these people. And he knew, you know, he, he was not, um, he knew all the tricks of the trade because he was a magician, and he knew what was happening was not a trick. So he was duly impressed and says, Hey, I want this. I want this because I can make use of this. And how much do you want, Peter? How much do you all want for this? And that's when Peter said, you have no part of this. And notice what Peter said. You are still in the bondage of iniquity. And pray to God and repent that you may find forgiveness with God. Now, was he a partaker of the Holy Spirit in any sense? Well, yeah, he was so close to the Spirit, he saw these things take place, and he was doing it, the Spirit of God. So when Peter admonished him and said, Now, look, you, you have a darkened heart, Simon, that wants to buy the gift with money. Repent. Now, notice what... Simon says, did he repent? No. Was any desire to repent? No. He says, you pray for me. You pray that nothing of what you said will come upon me. See, he was not moved to confess his great sin, even though it was pointed out to him. He saw the works of the Spirit. He was enlightened. He was close to the Spirit, but he blasphemed the Spirit by his actions. And you know what? Historically, he was the beginning of a lot what's called the, uh, the movement of the Gnostics into the Jewish uh, nation. Simon became notoriously opposed to true belief. He committed the unpardonable sin. You know, to be anointed by the Holy Spirit is to believe in Jesus. Turn with me to 1 John 2. 1 John 2, and we'll pick up at verse 20 through 27. I have not written to you, but you have, verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. What do you know? 
I am not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father. The one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning, and what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. As for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true and is not a lie, just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Now what does it mean to be anointed by the Spirit? Is to be anointed by the Spirit to the point you understand who Jesus is. You understand Jesus to be the Son of God. You understand Him to be God in the flesh. That's what you understand. To be anointed has to have the power of the Spirit upon you. How do you know these things? How is it that the Thessalonians, when they heard Paul's preaching, and he wasn't the first preacher ever to come through Thessalonica, mind you, but why is it when they heard Paul's preaching, it says they knew it was the Word of God? How did they know that? Because it's the Spirit who enabled them. That's how they knew it. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 says it's by the Spirit and His power. They understood it. So... As we conclude, what is the unpardonable sin? No Christian can ever do it because the unpardonable sin is not believing in Jesus. Not being convinced who he is. But if you are convinced in your heart, that means the Holy Spirit has worked in you. And mind you, the work of God is a permanent thing. If Jesus has died for you, you will not be lost. It says you are cleansed forever. And it says once and for all we have been cleansed. We have that assurance. And there's nothing that can take it away from it. Like Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and they come to me. And the Father gives them to me, and nobody can snatch them from my Father. You're secure. Jesus died for you. You are secure. The Pharisees, in this context of Matthew 12, they saw the great work of God through Jesus said by the power of the Spirit. And what is, how did they respond? You do it by the devil. They had no knowledge being capable of understanding because the Spirit was resisted of such magnitude. They were not of the elect of God, therefore they could not see and they could not hear. So therefore, if a person has believes on the Lord Jesus, regardless of what sin they may have committed, they can find forgiveness if they ask for forgiveness. The point here is, 
those guilty of the blasphemy of the Spirit never ask for forgiveness. They never do. Just like Simon the Magician. He never asked for forgiveness. You pray for me. But he could never bring himself to pray because there was no work of the Spirit in his heart. That is the unforgivable sin. Not to believe in Jesus. To hear and to see such great things and not believe in Jesus. That. Now, we don't know what the state is like it says. There are some who are great resistors and yet who do believe later on. As the pastor said to me, he says, as long as there's life, there's hope. There's hope. As long as there's still life. Still time to repent. Let us pray.